W-E-L-C-O-M-E B-A-C-K to the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast. I am back again, ladies and gentlemen. This is Premier League Match Day number 15, breakdown, analysis, evaluation, whatever word, assessment, whatever the word is I can think of that we'll talk about looking at the fixtures of the Premier League season, going on strong with week in, week out with these Premier League Match Day reviews. Of course, the EFL Cup is in midweek, but regardless, let's get straight into the episode. But before I continue with the first game, which will be Manchester City versus London side Fulham. Ladies and gentlemen, if this is your first time listening, welcome to the STS squad or STS family, STSFC, whatever you want to call it. I've had many names for this podcast, but I've stuck with one now. Please make sure to follow me on whatever platform you listen to your podcast on. That's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you know, Amazon, uh, whatever it may be. It would be massively appreciated. Google Podcasts, the list goes on. I'm literally everywhere at Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast. You'll find me there. Make sure to leave a rating on the podcast as well, and as well as a review. And if you think other people, if you know the people that would love this podcast as much as you are, then make sure to share it with everyone else as well that loves footy as much as we do on the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast. And as I always say at the beginning of every episode that I do this, uh, uh, you know, of this ep- of this podcast, rather. This is the home of the most controversial football opinions and the home of the most elite or the home of elite football knowledge. Don't ever get that messed, messed up, that twisted. That will all those two things will always be staples of what makes the podcast what it is. Uh, speaking of elite football knowledge, let me show you some elite football knowledge we got going on here. Starting off at the Etihad Stadium, Manchester City 2, Fulham Football Club 1. Really a very, very eventful game of football. Full of controversy. I saw the Twitter timeline going absolutely berserk, going nuts when they saw, you know, the red card that I'll talk about in a second that was brandished to number seven, the left back for Manchester City in this game. Joao Cancelo, the Portuguese left back, who's not really had the greatest of times in recent weeks for many reasons. If you guys are loving this episode, by the way, quick little segue, and you want to hear more about his poor game against Liverpool, Joao Cancelo, that is, you guys can go check out my other episodes. Like I said, I'm absolutely everywhere. If you love the content, I got more content coming as always. I can assure you. World Cup stuff coming too. Big things going on ahead for sure. So keep your eyes and ears peeled if you're loving the stuff you're hearing from me. I'll get more co-hosts and more co-hosts. I'll get more co-guests, whatever the term is on the podcast that makes more voices, more people on the podcast that makes this more interesting as opposed to just hearing me speak all the time. But if you like me all the time, then I really appreciate it. I like me too. So <laughs> thank you very much. But um the game finished 2-1 to Manchester City. And I mean, I'm going to say one name and then I'm going to kind of revert and we're going to go backwards. So the first thing I'm going to say for this game is Erling Braut Holland comes off the bench in the 64th minute. And that's all I'm going to say. He scores 10 minutes later. The goal is then disallowed for offside, which I thought was very marginal. I'm going to be really honest with you. And then he scored a goal, obviously, in the penalty late in the game. Let's, let's go. Let's go back to the beginning of the game. Julian Alvarez scores what I would say is a fantastic, fantastic goal. It's uh, Sergio Aguero-esque. I don't like comparing these two players because obviously, yes, they're both Argentine. They're both a bit diminutive. They have a similar playing style and liking to get in behind, but also very multifaceted strikers. So I won't keep comparing them repeatedly, but I feel like this goal looked like something you'd see Aguero do maybe five or six, seven years ago. And uh, I just want to say that this goal shows you what Julian Alvarez can give any team, especially Manchester City, obviously. That's the team he's playing for when he gets minutes. It's unfortunate that he's been kind of sidelined, like a lot of City's attackers are when they're, you know, just kind of being thrown into Guardiola's system or they're trying to get used to it. They don't play as often as they should, in my opinion, especially someone as quality and as talented Julian, as Julian Alvarez, Julian Alvarez is. Uh, scored a really good goal. I'm already going to be giving my assist of the week to uh, Ilkay Gundogan. That through ball for me is it's, uh, something of, it's a breath of fresh air and it only comes from the best of the best in the world. And I think that this is worthy of the assist of the week trophy from your boy. If you guys don't know, I do assist of the week. I do goal of the week, which we'll be hearing later this episode, as well as the classic. If you know the old episode that I've been doing on this podcast, the fraud of the week is also coming later this episode as well. So stay tuned. However, regardless, moving on. Really good pass from Ilkay Gondawan, who I, I, I really say this all the time. I mean, for me, he's one of the most underrated players of all time. I generally believe that, at least of his generation. I think he's a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic football player. He really has all the, the attributes you need to be a fantastic midfielder. Really dynamic and really just gives you a bit of, of every bit and piece or aspect you want in a creative or even defensive mind, which he can do both. 
type of midfielder. He's a very, very well-rounded player. And his passing range is also continued to get better and better. But as he ages, he becomes more wise. He's always been a wise player at Gundogan, always, as Dortmund. And if you know me, I used to love using Dortmund in FIFA. I had a period with this Dortmund team where he was in it, you know, with uh, the likes of Kagawa and Goodse and Lewandowski and Blasikowski and Grosskreutz. Uh, Gross... Kurtz, that's his name? Kevin, I want to get that right. It's uh, Kevin Gross. Sorry, excuse me, guys. I'm very sorry. It happens a lot here. Kevin Gross. Is that his name? Yeah, Gross. Yeah, yeah, got it correct. Yes, him as well. This classic Dortmund players. Piss Jack, Smelcher. If you know, you know. Anyways, used to love watching him then. I still love him. Still love watching him now for Manchester City. He was very, very good in this game. I have to say, Gundogan really stood out to me as a very important player in the City team. I mean, he got an assist, like I said, obviously, and was uh, instrumental in City's success in this match. Um, really good goal, like I said, from Alvarez. I keep repeating myself. I just can't get over how good that finish was because I just, it really reminded me that City have so many weapons in their team. Like, not just Erling Haaland, who we'll obviously talk about in a second, but this Julian Alvarez goal gives you that dimension that when you don't play Haaland, you can still find ways to score goals. And the big question that was leveled at City when they signed, uh, when they got rid of Jesus and Sterling and company. Not Vincent Company, Company meaning like the players. <laughs> um, they uh, the questions were wondering. People were wondering, will they still find ways to score goals and be as as, as uh, prolific as they as they once were? And the answer to that question is a resounding yes. City continued to score goals by the boatload. Not in this game per se, as I thought this game would finish three nothing. As we know, it finished three goals in the game, but two goals for City and one goal for Fulham. From a Fulham perspective, they obviously were able to get an equalizer. In the 28th minute, only 11 minutes after Julian Alvarez had scored for City. Of course, just before that, though, like literally two minutes before that, we saw a very, very controversial and I would argue a very stupid penalty that was given against Manchester City. I, I had no City favoritism. I know I have a City flag behind me. If you see my TikToks, by the way, go check me out at SDSFC. You would see the, the Manchester City flag. No, there's no favoritism. That's just a flag I have. It's, you know, somewhere in the house. I put it up. Regardless, uh, I thought it was absolutely absurd, this penalty. This is never, 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 never a pen. Never a penalty for me. Never. This is what we call shocking refereeing from what we expect, what we've come to expect in the Premier League, but really, really poor, poor decision making or official officiating. Never a penalty for me. Joao Cancelo gets a straight red card, which, I mean, if you're going to give him the penalty or con- you're going to say, say that he conceded the penalty, that he did a, you know, an excessive push or whatever, then yeah, I guess the natural. Um, effect or result is the fact that he would have to be sent off as well. So I guess that made sense. If you're going to give him the pen and give you, I think he's the last man, I believe, then the red card is understandable. However, it's never a penalty, therefore it should never be a red. And then, of course, the penalty was then given. Obviously, there wasn't overturned by VAR. There wasn't an obvious error or whatever, you know, misjudgment or whatever. And then Andreas Pereira, instead of Alexander Mitrovic, who didn't play this game, I don't believe, no, he didn't, um, instead of it being... Uh, the classic number nine, Mitrovic, it was Andreas Pereira, who's having a really good season, by the way. Quietly, Fulham are having a good season. He, Mitrovic, and company are having a very good season. And he scored a very good penalty, putting the pass. Ederson in goal, making it 1-1 going into halftime. Now, obviously, if you know Manchester City, they're one of the best teams at playing with 10 men. At least I think so. This is one of my personal quiet opinions. But again, this is the home of controversial football takes and opinions. So this is one of them. I think they're one of the best teams in football. Obviously, with 11 men, but even with 10 men, they're still very good, especially at home. And the second half, of course, City were coming out to really kind of just kind of settle the game and keep it even, keep an even keel and, and not overly play it, for example. I mean, they did only have expected goals of 2.08, which is pretty good. It's exactly what they got, two goals in the game, uh, given the fact that they were playing, with, you know, literally, uh, what's the word? Playing with 10 men for majority of the match, 75 minutes, 74 minutes of the game, which is, again, absurd to be able to hold out for that long against a Fulham team who we know have a threat and can pose a definitely a dangerous counter threat uh, on the counter attack for, for, you know, in abundance. I mean, they've done it many times this season. It wouldn't surprise me if they were to do it again against Manchester City. But then, of course, City have, you know, they do what they do best. They made substitution. They're bringing Foden on and, and Erling Haaland on. And when you bring on those two guys, you know that, I mean, they're probably going to go on to win the game. And uh, even without Cancelo, who's one of their main creators, one of the most, you know, kind of pivotal and vital pieces in the City team, it didn't really matter. City were able to still find a way to score goals, or score a goal, rather. And uh, it came through the... Uh, 
I came in. I mean, it was a ball. I forget who played it. It could have been De Bruyne, I believe, or someone who played a pass to Holland, who then scored, and they made it two one to City at the time in the seventy fourth minute, which was a really good finish from Holland. That was, and then uh, he was called called for offside again, margin offside. But it is what it is. VAR did what VAR does best: ruin happy moments in football. So that did it again. And then in the 95th minute, we saw a penalty, but not for Fulham this time, of course, for Manchester City. He was then given a penalty, I believe it was Anthony Robinson who conceded it, which is just, <laughs> it really just is, uh, it really, it was a, a very, it wasn't a questionable one. I feel like this one is more of a penalty than the one that Jorgensella then conceded earlier in the, in the, in the half, but in the game, sorry, but I really didn't think that this is also should have been a penalty either. Like, it didn't have to be. I don't think so. And I say that because, yes, he made contact, but it wasn't It wasn't like he ripped through him. De Bruyne was kind of trying to buy it is what it looked like to me. And then they gave the penalty all of a sudden. And then I was like, okay, you know what? It is what it is. City are going to step up now and score this. It's the 95th minute. I mean, Fulham, will they really be bothered that they didn't? I mean, they probably will be because they were seconds away from a draw. Come on, Steven, you should know that. But I mean, to lose against City in the at a way that they had is not something that they were not expecting. So, you know, whether it happens in a great fashion, meaning that they get destroyed and just expected to lose badly, and they did, or it happens in a bad fashion, which is the way it did turn out, which is they held up for a 1-1 draw for the majority of the game, and all of a sudden the referee kind of blesses Manchester City, and then Guardiola goes crazy, absolutely ballistic post-match, you know, hugging De Bruyne, hugging Haaland, and jumping on these guys like he's like a three-year-old with the, you know, with their mother and father. However, that's neither here nor there. Haaland steps up to the penalty, slots it away comfortably. City win 2-1. And they keep a pace again with league leaders who just beat Chelsea to earlier today, Arsenal. And I guess that's probably the game we should go to next, Arsenal versus Chelsea. It was not very uh, interesting watch, I'm going to be honest. I watched the game from minute one to minute 94. I did kind of tune up for a couple of seconds. I was kind of like just so disinterested and disengaged, especially as a Chelsea fan. As you guys know, I am. I was very disinterested. I predicted that this game would finish 2-1 to Arsenal. It finished one nothing. obviously. I mean, it could have finished more than that for Arsenal. They had many chances in the match and looked way more threatening than Chelsea ever could have dreamed of looking like. Uh, I thought the Chelsea lineup was absolutely shambolic. From the beginning, Chelsea lined up with Aspilicueta, Chalaba, Silva, and Kukurea as a back four. Then Mason Mount, Jorginho, and Loftus-Cheek in the middle, in midfield three. And then, of course, the front, Pierre Mikabameng, the former gunner himself, Kai Havertz, and Raheem Sterling. Uh, again, I won't talk about this for very long. I'm going to do probably do a separate thing on TikTok, I think. Just kind of doing my Chelsea therapies, what I'm going to call it. That's going to be my new series on there because... Um, for me doing on the podcast would be ridiculous. You guys are here to talk, here to hear me talk about many things and more than just Chelsea all the time. So if I did that, I think it'd be get pretty annoying. There's millions, millions, and millions, not millions, but there's many Chelsea podcasts. I don't want to make this into this, oh, Chelsea FC podcast done by Steven and on. No. But overall, Chelsea were really poor. I thought they were shocking today. Nothing what, what short of what I expected. I expected Chelsea to be bad and Arsenal to be very good, which they, they weren't excellent today, Arsenal, either. I won't say that I was really blown away by their performance, but they were by far better than Chelsea in the game, for sure, which wasn't too difficult to do because, like I said, Chelsea on the whole were really bad. Uh, I thought the uh, the play from Martinelli and Saka, who in particular really had really good games, especially Saka, who was a nuisance and a menace, menace all game. You know, he just caused constant havoc and on the right-hand side of Arsenal's attack, the left-hand side of Chelsea's defense. Although I have to be honest, I think Mark Kukurea handled his own fairly well. Uh, I'm looking at FUTMOB here, and I find this pretty ironic. It shows you just how fraudulent these these stat um, apps can be. I'm seeing Chelsea's FUTMOB, and everyone has orange numbers next to them, you know, 6-point whatever, 5-point whatever. And then I'm looking at the two players that have a green rating, and you wouldn't guess, Chelsea fans, who has a green rating next to their number. Two players who I think have to leave Chelsea almost immediately. And if they never played another game for Chelsea, I generally wouldn't bat an, bat an eye. Uh, first of which is Jorginho, who has a 7.4. Lord knows how he managed to get that, but he has a 7.4. And the second person is Cesar Aspilicueta, who, again, well, he actually wasn't that bad, Aspi. But both of these players are players who are the supposed leaders. One of them is the captain, one of them is the vice captain. And the leadership and lack of mentality in this Chelsea team has been something that I've been harping on about for years, if you know me. And it showed in this game that as soon as Arsenal had scored from, again, a, a set piece, which was taken by Saka, and Chelsea players just, just had to stand still and let the ball go straight to Gabriel Magalhaes to tap it in from close range. 
as soon as that goal had gone in, you could just see Chelsea players, English, specifically these two guys in particular who have high ratings, you know, their heads just dropping. And these are the guys are supposed to be looking at to give you that galvanizing feeling of, okay, we're, we're going to go back out there and win this game. We're playing at home against in the London Derby. We haven't been playing very well recently, especially in the Premier League. Can we go out there and give out a good fight for ourselves, especially after going behind? Again, if you know Chelsea, the answer is obviously a resounding no. Uh, Chelsea kind of just threw the uh, threw a bit of a soft punch at the at the punching bag and just ran away in fear. And uh, the performance definitely showed that. I thought Chelsea overall, like I said, were quite poor. Kai Havertz had many chances, especially in the first half, to create much more you know prominent opportunities if he had better decision making. But of course, with a lack of uh, constant experience in doing those situations, having those situations for Chelsea, and even just his his youthfulness, you could say, Havertz, or even lack of skill, rather. Uh, he wasn't able to find a Bamiang, and then I think it was someone else, I believe, I forget the other person, someone else in a second situation as well, where he could have set someone else up to score a goal. But fine margins in football. We talk about this all the time, especially with Chelsea, when they don't really create that many chances naturally anyways, so that when they do get their opportunities, there is already a uh, a very, very uh, difficult hill to climb, and it's a very uphill battle to kind of uh, jump over and leap over there's a very interesting tweet i saw from a chelsea fan account that i want to read out make sure to follow me as well by the way on twitter at uh sts um not sts at steven steven the don or in other words steven talks steve talks footy but i thought this tweet was very very interesting i'm gonna find it here it is our midfield is consistently consistently the liability even if one player does well the unit rarely does Weak or non-existent midfield is what's holding this team back. Now, I won't go on a whole rant again, I promise. I'll switch over to the next game very quickly and then to Arsenal side of things very quickly. But uh, seeing Zakaria not touch the pitch today was a bit of a shocker. Given how well he had played in midweek against Zagreb, I was almost certain he would play in this game against Arsenal. Just for that steal, that you know, that bit of extra strength and physicality that we haven't seen in Chelsea's midfield since 2017, which is, again... Utterly ridiculous to say. That's five years of watching my team struggle week in, week out in the midfield battle. Which, as we know, as football fans, if you have high ball knowledge, which you should if you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> now I was messing with you. you. Whether you have high or low, it doesn't really matter. It's just something I like to say. But the real essence of what I'm saying is that you lose and win a football game in the midfield. And for Chelsea, they were never going to win the midfield battle against Thomas Partey and Granit Jacko, who outplayed and completely bossed, uh, what's it called, Mount Jorginho and Loftus-Cheek. And those last two guys, I think, actually all three of them, really. Mount can definitely stay at Chelsea. He is Mr. Chelsea in my eyes. But he's not the guy that you ask to play in a physical midfield three battle. You ask him to be a, a bit more of a luxury player, you know, like what Havertz was meant to do today. And he wasn't that terrible, as bad as people made it out to be Havertz, I'm going to be honest. But let me give some quick reality checks on Chelsea. Like I said, and we'll shift over. First of which is Havertz is never going to become the player Chelsea fans think he can be or should be at Chelsea. And that's for many reasons that I won't go into now. That, that that will all be on the on the uh, the therapy session that we'll have on TikTok. Um, in terms of Mason Mount, however, he has these moments where he kind of dips in and out of form, and he has well, he's on brilliant form. Literally, only two or three weeks ago, in our last win against Aston Villa, he was excellent with those free kicks, or the free kick and the goal in in the from earlier in that game. But you can see that he needs a team where the rest of the squad, like like most players at this Chelsea at Chelsea, to be honest, they need a squad or a collective of players that everyone is or how to say this the system. And the players that are playing in the system are all very competent and capable. You can't have liabilities in this team. And then you look at Jorginho and Loftus-Cheek today, who I thought were absolutely atrocious. Both of them were really, really poor. And they're getting completely ripped to shreds time and time again. When you have players like that in, in neck playing next to you in the same position or same area of the field, you lose confidence. You lose belief in the fact that they're going to give you the ball, that they're going to be able to retain the ball. They're going to be able to to uh, to win the ball back. All of these things, you lose faith and hope in. This is what Zakaria kind of showed us as Chelsea fans in midweek. That we, because like, like I said, we haven't seen since the Manu Matic. And if you saw Matic today for Roma, you'd probably laugh and say, oh, that's crazy. But I mean Matic with Mourinho. That was a different Matic. Uh, the Jorginho Lopez cheek pairing we saw again it was diabolical which we knew already but again Potter has to do what he has to do there's many many injuries to this Chelsea team context is extremely necessary I feel like we had the likes of a um, a fit Fafana fit Reese James we miss dearly right now a fit N'Golo Kante again we miss dearly uh, a fit Chilwell even a fit um, Koulibaly to play in this game the list goes on. You know, players that really should be in the starting 11, that Kovacic even, a, fit, a properly fit Kovacic, you'd really see uh, a different Chelsea. Regardless, this is what we call the beginning of what Arsenal were doing with Arteta. 
And uh, I don't think that Chelsea fans would have given Arteta the time that Arsenal fans kind of allowed themselves to give Arteta. And now switching over to Arsenal. Yes, they won today. And yes, they deserve to be top of the table. I've said this many times in my previews, again, on TikTok. You know I gave Arsenal their credit. They deserve it. They've been playing really well this season. But for one thing, I wasn't fully, fully impressed. And I haven't been that, that impressed as of recently with Arsenal. They find a way to start off the game really well. And they're very, very sharp and bright with their movement and their patterns of play. But I feel like, again, credit to them. But I feel like um, with the depth that they don't have, that might come to bite them in the end. And that's what I think might stop them. I could be entirely wrong. I, I could be saying Arsenal win the league. But my knowledge of the game, especially the Premier League, would show you that. And I feel like with Arsenal fans, what really makes me laugh is, yes, they make fun of Chelsea and clown them all you want. Yeah, you deserve to win today. You guys are the better team. However, it just kills me that I've seen so many Arsenal people who now are Arsenal, sorry, Arteta in, that literally the whole fan base, or at least at least 75% of the fan base would say the week after that, you know, the season's passed, let's say a year or two ago, Arteta out, Arteta out, Arteta out, Arteta out. And I'd be like, uh, how does this make any sense? Can you make up your mind? You know, and I really don't understand it. And clearly they realize that the, the owners and the, the, the administrative side of Arsenal were doing the right thing and keeping Arteta there for as long as he's been there. However, it just makes me laugh at the hypocrisy where they, you know, where at one point they're saying, oh, he's not our manager. He's not good enough. He doesn't know what he's doing. Granite Jacka needs to leave. Thomas Partey shouldn't play for Arsenal again unless it's in like a specific system. Oh, you know, this player's not good enough. This player's not good enough. And then all of a sudden, you know, the process of what he's building works. And then we say, oh, we love Arteta. We want, you never want him to go. He's our manager. He's never going to leave us. Blah, 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 blah. It's like, can you make up your mind? Can you stick to something, you know? And me as a Chelsea fan, I'm going to say this now. I plan on backing Potter to the very, very end. If the end is tomorrow, if the end is in 10 years, I will always be stuck with Grand Potter, always. That's my that's my my manager, my football club. I plan on backing him until, you know, the, the highest hills. Anyways, I said enough about this game. Chelsea therapy coming, like I said. Stay tuned for that. When we come back from the break, we'll be looking at Tottenham versus Liverpool, Aston Villa versus Manchester United, and many more games once we return on the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast. And now, ladies and gentlemen, on to Liverpool, sorry, should I say Tottenham 1, Liverpool 2. A game I got the scoreline exactly correct, and I'm very proud of myself because I couldn't decide between is it going to be a clean sheet for Liverpool or are Spurs going to score? And then I said, you know what? I know Spurs are going to score. It would only make sense that Spurs score. And that's exactly what happened. They did score. I mean, it was kind of a, not consolation, but just a bit of a late scare for Liverpool, rather, who I thought played really, really well, especially in the first half. I was really impressed with Liverpool's performance today. I'm not normally a person who bigs up Liverpool's games. I feel like they get a bit lucky with the, the performance that they've had. Specifically, and even more more importantly, the game they had against uh, Napoli in midweek. I didn't think Liverpool were that great, I'm going to be honest. I thought Napoli probably deserved to win or at least get a draw from that. But in this game, Liverpool definitely deserved to win. They were very, 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 very good, especially in opening 45. Like I said, like I said, I saw this team and I said, hmm, you know, Liverpool looking like they're playing some ball today. There's some patterns of play that are looking consistent. There's a clear, there's a clear vertical game plan that they want to go forward and score goals and not do it in a way that's kind of reckless that leaves them exposed at the back, which we know Liverpool are prone to doing. The goals from Mohamed Salah, again, a player that I don't really rate that highly. It's not a player I'd ever tell you is, he's goaded, bro. He's goaded. He's so goaded, Steven. He's, you know, he's just as good as, uh, as Neymar. He's just as good as, uh, I don't know, as Ronaldinho. Like, bro, I'd never say that. But today in particular, I thought Salah was absolutely exceptional. Exceptional. He had a fantastic performance. I'm not a Salah lover, but I mean, this 8.8 rating that I'm seeing on FOTMOB here is richly deserved. He was very, very, very good. Even the things, even when he wasn't scoring the goals that he did score, I thought he had a fantastic performance. And I mean, you have a player like this in your team, you're always going to be in with a shout to do something, you know, useful and effective in a game. And I thought Salah really managed the match. And his, his performance, his contribution was just. Again, second to none. Like, what more can you ask for as a Liverpool fan? But you're not really in the best run of form. Even Liverpool fans would surely admit that. They're currently sitting in, in eighth place now, actually, fun enough. But uh, they would definitely admit that. And then all of a sudden, you know, Salah can come out and kind of rescue, as he did. I, I, like I said, I thought Spurs, who I will literally talk about for to no end at the end of this episode. You'll see why. But uh, you'll, I just thought Spurs really just were hoping for anything but a loss, obviously. And they were just playing for a draw, especially in the opening 45 minutes. They looked very disinterested, very devoid of any real attacking game plan. And Liverpool, like I said, without Salah first goal, which I thought was wonderful, the way you just kind of just take that little touch, which is classic, classic Salah. If you've watched Salah in the Premier League with Liverpool, you know that this goal is something he scored at least 30 or 40 times, minimum. He loves that little stop, you know, kind of like settle and then slap it with his left foot almost immediately after. The way he measured that strike is really, it's it's impressive. I have to say, it's 
it's a very, very uh, specific and takes a very, very delicate skill that really I think he's mastered at this point. He does it all the time. Really good goal from Salah that was. And that kind of put the dagger into Spurs early in the game in the 11th minute. And again, when you see Darwin Nunez or Charles Darwin, as we call him, you know, the, the scientist, um, assisting the goal and helping it set up. And again, Nunez again today was also very, very good to that. Front two partnership was interesting. Liverpool, obviously, they're losing. They don't have Luis Diaz. And of course, Masadi Mane is left in the, in the summer. No Diogo Jota. He's also injured. So they need to find something out, figure something out. And I thought it worked wonderfully, the Firmino, Nunez, and Salah partnership. Again, like I said, especially in the opening 45, especially in the opening 10 minutes when Salah had scored. And then, in a, you know, later in the in the second half of the first half, you had another goal from Mohamed Salah. This one was just, I mean, uh, have we seen, have we not seen this goal at least 30 times? Again, at least another 20, 30 times in Salah's career against big six sides in the Premier League where he runs on the counterattack. And you know what I call Salah? For me, he's just a, he's what Timo Werner was supposed to be at Chelsea. That's literally what I think it is. Like, he's a player who's full of speed, full of attacking, intelligent runs and excellent in front of goals, we know. Um, but not the best on the ball necessarily or the most creative player, obviously, but he scores goals religiously. And um, he did it again in this moment in the 40th minute, making 2 nothing for Liverpool. Or, and I said, okay, maybe this game probably is over. And I was writing it off, writing it off, writing it off. And I probably had reason to do so. Then, you know, Harry Kane scored in the 70th minute, literally two seconds as Dejan Kulisevsky comes on. Literally two minutes into Kulisevsky's reintroduction to the Spurs team after being, uh, you know, a lengthy timeout on the bench due to injury or, you know, in the sidelines due to injury. He comes on, sets up Harry Kane, and it's, again, a very good finish from Kane, who's continuing to score goals for fun underneath Antonio Conte, who did get, you know, the booking uh, literally a minute later from some classic Conte antics and hitting the ball out of the for, uh, the uh, Liverpool's um, assistant's hands, which I didn't understand why he did that, but it's classic Conte. Anyways, Harry Kane makes it... Uh, he has the deficit, makes it two Tottenham one, Liverpool two. Still wasn't enough. Liverpool still look by far the more dangerous side. Not after that goal. I would say after that goal, it's, it is must be mentioned that after that, uh, it was clear that Tottenham were going to put the uh, throw the kitchen sink at the cause and uh, and see what they could do. And they did find ways to kind of create more chances. Their XG was actually a one point one nine, which is higher than Liverpool's 1.0 so tells you you know everything you need to know and Spurs actually had four big chances and four of which that were were missed and I mean they did turn it on but when Kulisevsky came on you could tell like Spurs became the team that people remember them being prior to his his injury Kulisevsky he's that important I think he's arguably Spurs' best player and if him Son and Kane are playing together then they're going to really really cause some damage but even Kulisevsky and Kane together is good enough because I mean Kane just needs one more um, sidekick, you know, Batman and Robin or, I don't know, um, what's another really good partnership? I don't remember now. But that's the main one we always, you know, we always reference as, as people in modern society. But you just see it. You see Batman put on his mask, Harry Kane, and then Robin give him the little cheeky assist and then he scores. Good goal from Harry Kane, like I said. Very good finish. And it really, really instilled some confidence in the Spurs side going into the last 20 minutes of the game. And we saw what they did against, uh, who was it? Against Olympique de Marseille in the last second after being one nothing down in the first half. Coming back to score, Twice in the game, once again in the second half, and then late in the second half, later the last kick of the match from Pierre-Emile Hoybier, who scored to make it 2-1 to Spurs in that match, who then sent Spurs all the way to the top of their group and through to the next round of the Champions League. We thought the same thing would probably happen again, given how lucky, or not lucky, but how, you could say lucky, because I don't really think Spurs have really deserved many many of the, the wins that they've been getting, again, for many reasons, which we'll get to, but... Um, they got that win against Marseille in France, who actually ended up winning today, funny enough, against uh, Olympique Lyon. Shout out Marseille for listening, Marseille fans. Regardless, back to the game against Spurs with a win, uh, Spurs with a loss here. And we were hoping that maybe it would be a turnaround like what they saw before, but it wasn't to be. Liverpool were able to hold out just, 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 just about, and they were able to get through with it and, and win 2 1. So. Big win for the Reds, Liverpool, who are looking to climb up the table quietly and kind of do their business without being noticed too much because, obviously, you know, for their sake and everyone else's, we know that they've not been anywhere near on the races to the, to the level that we expect them to be this season. Another team who we've not really been expecting to, you know, who's not really been to the level we expected them to be this season has to be two of these teams, actually, but the first of which, the first name I'm going to say, Aston Villa. Now, Aston Villa 3, Manchester United 1, I predicted that this game would be a 2-1 United win away at Villa Park. Boy, did I get that wrong. And I mean, yes, United are missing Bruno Fernandes. Yes, they're missing Anthony, who, again, are both some of their best players. I think it's obvious. Any United fan with eyes, you know, that watches the team week in, week out would admit that and tell you that, that they need these guys to win fixture, you know, matches and, and games. 
But um, I just thought this United team, I said it last week in my last episode. I remember saying United don't fully impress me. And I, there's something that they're missing. I don't know what it was. I still don't know what it is. But I, I just don't see it completely yet. I'm not expecting to. Of course, like we said, Tanag's project will probably take many years to really get to full, full uh, you know, um, realization, actualization. However, in this game, it just showed you exactly what I meant from last week, that we're still seeing some signs of United, even from the beginning of the season, I feel like, where they're looking to, you know, they capitulate um, almost instantaneously after they concede. And I mean, Leon Bailey scoring in the seventh minute of the game kind of showed you that directly what was going to happen next in the next, you know, 90 minutes or 83 minutes of play after that. Really good goal from Leon Bailey. A very good pass from Jacob Ramsey, who again had a very, 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 very good game. This is Unai Emery's first game as Aston Villa manager. For those for, the, for those of you who want context, they just sacked their manager, Steven Gerrard, only a couple of weeks ago. They bring in Unai Emery from Villarreal. First game at home against Manchester United. First game period, sorry. Then it's at home at Villa Park. They haven't beaten United in 23 games at Villa Park. And of course, all of a sudden, first game for Unai Emery and bam, they win 3-1. Again, Bailey, who's been really, really good this season. I really, really am enjoying what he's up to. Again, not only because he's a Jamaican compatriot, which you guys know I love my Jamaicans, but not only that, just simply because what he's been able to show and give to a Villa side that really have been lacking so much just joy and 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 attacking intent and, and ability. And Bailey has been continuously giving this to them. Even when they've been poor, he's still been their best player. I'd say, at least going forward, he's been really, really good this season, Leon Bailey. Been thoroughly impressed with his his performances. Uh, really good pass from Ramsey, like I said. Bailey scoring and making it one nothing to the uh, the Villa, and then literally like at, what is it like four minutes later? Yeah, like you can see two goals in ten minutes. You know the game's over. And you, I mean, if you remember the game last season or two years ago, I believe the game could have been last season where United went to uh, went to Villa Park and were losing to nothing, and then came back and made it two two or something like that. People probably think that was going to happen again. I nearly thought that was going to happen again. It didn't happen again. And then Luca, Luca Ding, or as the Nepenthe says, Dinye, he ended up scoring and making it uh, 2 nothing for Aston Villa. Very, very, very good free kick. This was really, really well taken. Uh, apparently, Anthony Taylor, you know, put the, the uh, United uh, free kick line 12 yards or 12 feet or whatever, whatever measurement, away from the, um, the, the free kick taker as opposed to 10, which is the regulatory number. That's what Mark Goldbridge said. Apparently, he's a huge United fan, if you didn't know. Sound like some crazy United bias in that statement, but anyways, Dinia steps up, wraps the free kick into the the uh, the mid middle, kind of like you know top right hand corner of the United goal. They has beaten again. We go into the uh, towards the last two minutes, three minutes of of the um, of the second half. United really start putting on the pressure, start really ramping it up, and you can tell they're getting more and more intense with their movement, more intense with their actions, and more purpose, more urgency, more more deliberation, not deliberation, more deliberately moving the ball, and with more with more in, intent behind their 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 pass selection it showed i mean it ended up being a goal again a deflected shot from a luke shaw strike that hit off jacob ramsey which was then given as an own goal which then made it 2-1 at half time now united if you know anything about united they're pretty good at coming out of the block sometimes sometimes in in second halves and and being able to create some issues in the early stages of the second half not this game that was not we can throw that out the window and jacob ramsey who again was having a game of his life today he Stepped up and scored to make it 3-1. And again, this goal was absolutely brilliant. Absolutely. The creation of the goal was excellent. And then the finish itself was just as good. Uh, to put that in the top corner, and De Gea literally looked at the goal as if he was in like a like a you know, like a futsal game where like a guy shoots from 40 yards and you just have to stand there and watch it going, you know, top bins on a small net. Although that's obviously a Premier League size net, so it's fairly big. But regardless, really good finish. Forget that analogy. Really good finish from Jacob Ramsey. Very, very good goal from a player who richly, again, rightfully deserves this because he's been really good for Villa since he's come into the first team. I really like this kid. I think he has a lot of potential and can go very far. Uh, I'm getting a lot of um, James Madison vibes. Not in the same way that they play, but the fact that they're not similar ages per se, but the fact that they're both probably going to be players that never truly get that look in that they should, given even if they are that talented. Yes, this may change for Ramsey. Yes, he's still very, very young, much younger than Madison, but I still feel like he's a player where his skill set won't be valued or won't be looked at as valued as much as it should be. Competing with Bellingham, competing with Calvin Phillips, competing with uh, Dacton Rice and other midfielders, it's unlikely that he's going to be able to break into the squad. Loftus Cheek, even who I don't think should get a look in, but uh, as much as he should. Anyways. 3-1 to Aston Villa. Great result for them. Fantastic result for Una Emery. Back to the drawing board for Manchester United, who play against 
Aston Villa in the EFL Cup and then Fulham away, which is going to be a very, very good game because Fulham are going to be up for that. They love a game against Manchester United. If you know, you know. Anyways, moving on to the next fixture in the Premier League. Let's go on to, I believe there's one more game that I'm missing, if I'm not mistaken, which is, um, let's head over straight to Mersey, to Merseyside. Yes, Everton nil, Leicester City 2. Really, 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 really boring and dead game of football. My days was this game hard to watch. Wow, my eyes were peeling as I'm looking at, as I'm looking at this game. And if you didn't think so, then you really must have had the most crazy beverage, crazy substance, whatever around you to cause the opposite effect of what I've just explained. Because this game was dead. Man, I, I sat there thinking, what do I have to do to get a good Premier League game of football on right now? My my days, was that hard to watch? Barring the great moments from none other than a player who's my, who, of my I mean, there's two or three guys who were my prop is never going to end. One of them is Mehdi Taremi from FC Porto. If you know, you know, because Taremi is a goat. Watch Porto, watch Taremi. I think, are Iran in the World Cup? I'm almost certain they are. And if Iran are in the World Cup, then Taremi is going to be cooking in the World Cup as well. Yes, they are. You can best believe it. Mehdi Taremi will be saucing up in the World Cup as well. Keep an eye out for him. As well as the player in this game who absolutely took over. I mean, this is one of like, this is like a coming out game from, you know, like a game where like you just see like this guy's becoming a world beater. I mean, he's already been considered for me one of the best players in the Premier League, but genuinely, you know, and you guys listening, you know who I'm going to say next. Say it with me. Say it with me, guys. Say it with me. I don't know if that's the song, but you get the point. Say it with me. James Madison. Boy, oh boy. If you didn't watch this game, it doesn't even matter. Just watch the highlights. Even just watch Madison's highlights in particular. I know comps always give players a more of a, you know, a, a higher or better light than they may deserve given that, you know, it's all about their best moments and highlights in the game. But James Madison was absolutely brilliant in this game. Everything he touched turned to gold. Everything. Again, it is against an Everton team that aren't, you know, that aren't the most organized all the time. But he is playing for Leicester. Let's be real. Who are even less, well, less known to being organized and and well, you know, structured all the time. Except for recently, where Leicester picked up some really good form, but including this game, obviously. But Madison was brilliant, and it showed off again with a perfectly weighted pass to Yuri Tielemans, who scored yet another screamer. In this game, putting it into top left-hand corner, leaving no chance for Pickford to save. Literally no chance. Off the crossbar and in, no chance. Keeper, night-night, bye-bye. Good night. Good evening, good night. It's over. As what Emery probably told to, you know, to United fans. It's good evening. It's good night. It's over. Same thing. Wonderful finish from Yuri Tielemans to make it one nothing to Leicester City away at Goodison Park, which is, again, a place that they often don't win at. They often draw these two teams, what I've seen with the head-to-head. So to see them pick up a, a goal in this moment and maybe even give them that life of what we saw in the second half, because Leicester, again, did finally, finally, they performed in the second half correctly. They matched the level of the performance in the first half with the second, and arguably got better in the second half, I would say. The Leicester looked just as compact, looked very, very... Um, prepared for the threat that Everton were trying to pose and trying to cause and kind of knew exactly what they were going to do as soon as the as the restart happened and also as soon as they had possession of the ball in the second half. Often Leicester fall asleep, you know, I have a whole episode done on Leicester about rescuing Leicester City. Clearly the rescuing, they must have heard my episode because the rescuing is working so far. Leicester look like a different team right now and they're playing through a player that they know that without him, they're literally nothing. I think they've realized that with, without Madison, there's not much we can do. And Madison, again, who's playing in various positions on the peak, covered literally every blade of grass, was involved and everything excellent. Everything excellent. That's lesser we're trying to create. Everything. All his passes, the outside the boot, outside the boot passes, which you guys know I absolutely love. I swear I love Luka Modric. Love I love uh, Madison. The outside the boot pass is wonderful. And Madison, his trickery, his footwork, his intelligence on the ball, his his selection of passes, his weight of passes, his shot selection is excellent. His ability to to beat a man on the turn, like he doesn't need 
the ball to beat you. He can beat you with using the space and reading the you know, way he's placed on a pitch vis-a-vis the defender. It really, really, it's it's special. It's special stuff from James Madison. And again, a player that I think is extremely disrespected in the Premier League and has been for some time now. Free kick excellence, set piece, not even just like, uh, you know, direct free kicks, set piece, the corner kicks, excellent. His long passing, excellent. Left foot as well, excellent. I really have very little critiques to give to Madison. You could say, oh, maybe he needs to be a bit more defensively disciplined, but I think that's like everyone at Leicester. So that's probably a symptom of the team and Brendan Rodgers' football as well. But I'm telling you, I'm really, really enjoying this James Madison, uh, you know, turnaround. And it's not the turnaround, this kind of you know, arc that he's on, this villain arc where he's like, I'm not getting picked for England and I'm going to show everybody why I'm literally one of the best players to play in this position, not only in, England, in the England national team, but also in the Premier League. Again, you know, involved in the Harvey Barnes goal in, this, in the 86th minute to make it 2-0 to Leicester. Really, really good work from Madison and Barnes. Classic, classic Leicester, classic Madison. Finding Harvey Barnes, again, Barnes with a wonderful goal. The way he just spins out on a diamond, bang, puts it in the back of the net. 2 nothing. it is for Leicester. They both do the same celebration together, which I thought was cool. And uh, Leicester win 2 nothing. From an Everton perspective, it's a very poor loss. Obviously, you know, Everton are playing at home. They expect them to do a lot better. But Everton overall were quite dead. There was a couple chances. Carver Lewin in particular had a couple chances, you know, to score goals. Uh, and they didn't put them away. And when you don't score your chances in the Premier League, you get punished. We all know that. And that's exactly what Leicester did. Leicester 2, Everton nil, or Everton nil, Leicester 2. Moving on. Southampton 1, Newcastle 4. This game took place at the St. Mary Stadium. Again, a crazy, crazy game of football. We're really, again, Newcastle looking like a team that are ready to win the Premier League today. I mean, that's a bit of a stretch, but they're looking really, really good. Like, really, really good. Like, we're at a point where we're thinking, okay, Newcastle, like, what are you guys, top three contenders now? Are you better than than Spurs? Are you better than, uh, I don't even know, but just probably the only team I can think of that's supposed to be finishing third. Are you better than Liverpool? Like, I just, I don't know, I know they lost against Liverpool, but again, in very, very un- unprecedented circumstances. And a late, late winner from Car- Fabio Carvalho, but... Again, this the game. Newcastle are all over Southampton. They even caused their, they even caused Southampton to sack their manager, Ralph Hasenhutl. Bye bye. He's no longer Southampton manager. He's gone. And I'm actually very interested to see who Southampton appoint. Are they going to bring back Maurizio Pochettino to the club that he was once at? We'll see. I don't think it's going to happen, but it would be interesting to see that. I mean, Newcastle really just they just took Southampton by storm. Just perfect combination of. You know, tactical brilliance, a very good defending, a very good finishing in front of goal. This Newcastle team look unstoppable. They play Chelsea next, and I'm expecting them to, to romp Chelsea as well. I think it's going to be a battering to Chelsea next week at home, you know, against the Blues. I really just, I can't, I can't look past them. I, I've, I've been, I have to talk about them as much as I am now. I have no choice but to mention how good they've been. They've been that good. This won't be a very long segment of the game. I mean, Newcastle, Almiron, Chris Wood, I mean, Woodinho bagged, bro. Woodinho bagged. Chris Wood scored for Newcastle today. Yes, one more time. Chris Wood, my New Zealand brethren, Woodinho bagged today for Newcastle. Joe Willock, Arsenal legend Joe Willock, silencing the crowd with his finger to his mouth, telling his kids, you know, like, like a teacher to the uh, to students to, to tell them to stop, being, uh, to stop making noise and to be quiet. Did the same thing to the, to the Southampton faithful and, to, of course, you know, to the whole St. Mary Stadium. And the same thing for Bruno Guimaraes, who, again, who had another wonderful performance. Bruno G cooking it up again for Newcastle. Are we surprised anymore? Yes, Newcastle conceded a goal from Roman Peru, who's been on a decent one of goals going form for Southampton. But overall, Southampton were nothing short of brilliant. Truly, like sheer, raw, just excellence in the game really and they continue this run of form where i don't think they've lost in like i think the last seven or eight games newcastle which again there's something you'd never hear of and they're winning games convincingly it's not like they're sneaking some one nothing penalty or terrible free kick or terrible header or whatever or own goals conceded by the opposition or they're playing against a team that has 10 men none of that they're it's to the point now where newcastle literally week in week out are convincingly beating every team they play against genuinely they've uh Beaten Fulham recently, beat Newcastle, uh, beat uh, Brentford, drew with United, beat Everton, beat New- uh, Tottenham, beat Aston Villa. Like, wh- what more can you ask of this team? That's uh, six games unbeaten now. Ridiculous. 
utterly ridiculous. This, this this team is going places. They really are. For the future, for the season, you'll see it. They're going to go a lot of places. I put them in a very very low in my Premier League predictions, showing my lack of ball knowledge, clearly. But uh, they've really surprised me and surprising many people, even probably Newcastle fans, but they've been wonderful. Miguel Amiron with a very good goal again, man. He just continues to score. I think it's seven goals now in seven games. It's just, wow, breathtaking stuff from Newcastle. Anyway, let's move on. So the next game, Leeds versus Bournemouth. Now, this is why we love Leeds United Football Club, isn't it? Leeds United 4, Bournemouth 3. This is why you watch the Premier League. This is why you pay the big bucks on Fubo TV or whatever you watch your, your thing, your, your Premier League football on. This is why you pay the big money, isn't it? This was wonderful. Two teams that you just scrapping it out, just looking to do whatever they can to get that victory. And you see it happen in, you know, in the form of, of, uh, Two newly promoted sides are not newly promoted. Yes, Bournemouth are newly promoted. Yes, Leeds have been to the Premier League. Yes, they have. But they're a team that are new to the Premier League. It's only their second and third year in it. So a game where these teams, again, again, this is a situation where two teams are playing against each other that know each other very well, playing in a different league that's not the Premier League. And I don't remember the head-to-head specifically on the top of my head right now. But what I do know is this game had every piece of action you can ask for in Premier League football. Seven goals. You know, full of just life and 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 tenacity and and aggression and passion and 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 exuberance and enthusiasm, whatever the word is. It was really just a very good game of football from the neutrals perspective, of course, especially from a Leeds perspective. From a Bournemouth perspective, you know, they may be this is a long day for Bournemouth fans, but great goal from uh, Marcus Tavernier, yes, the uh, James Tavernier's brother. Really good goal from him. His first goal for Bournemouth actually against a team that you think he started his career at in Leeds. Great goal for Philip Billing as well, who, by the way, is a very good player. I really like this Philip Billing guy. He seems to be scoring some, not only some very good goals, but he's a very instrumental player. And he has a very unique skill set, given his height. But he's very, very technical, very calculated, very composed individual. He can score goals. He's good defensively. He's great in the air, obviously, because he's tall. You know, he has an eye for a good pass. Like, he's a very, very, very quietly sneaky good player. Came from Huddersfield, obviously. If you know, you know. Very good player Billing is. I really like him. Um, and then Dominic Solanke is scoring, of course, scoring for, for Bournemouth as well. Of course, I'm missing the one goal that I don't know how I missed this, but a goal was given or scored for Leeds by Rodrigo, uh, you know, the Valencia legend in the third minute as a penalty was given to the Leeds United. And, um, I mean, at this time, we were thinking, okay, Leeds are going to go on to win. They're playing at home now. They should probably score one more goal just before the end of the game. Two nothing Leeds. Yeah. No, like I said, the three goals, like I just mentioned from Bournemouth, all came right after Rodrigo had scored. Just and two of them before halftime, one of them just after halftime, and that that made it two one at halftime for Bournemouth, three one after forty eight minutes for Bournemouth. Again, then we do see a situation where Sam Greenwood, who I believe was a substitute, yes, he literally came on and what's up, what's up, what's up with substitution scoring. Goals immediately after coming on, or being impactful after coming on. Kolesevsky for Spurs, Greenwood here for Leeds. Comes off the bench, six minutes later, makes it 2-3, or Leeds 2, Bournemouth 3. Uh, kind of gives more life for Leeds and gives them a, more of incentive to go on and really, you know, put the sword to, to, to Bournemouth. There's another 30 minutes left. You can see Jesse Marsh was completely revitalized by that goal that Greenwood scored, and rightfully so. It was a quality way to get back into a game. It's, there's many ways to score goals that are, you know, having the deficit or allowing the team to get that belief to get back into a match. This was one of the best goals I've seen doing so. It was a very, good, very good finish on his left foot. Green. I think it's his first goal for, for Leeds as well. Really good goal from him, making it, uh, like I said, to, uh, Leeds 2, Bournemouth 3. And then we had Liam Cooper scoring a header to make it 3-3. And I believe Cooper is obviously the the Bourne, uh, the Leeds captain, scoring against Bournemouth again. A player who loves, 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 loves those aerial battles, aerial duels. Leeds like that stuff. He's one of those guys, he loves that physical that physical battle. You can see it in Cooper's eyes. That's what he lets, what he thrives on. And Bournemouth are similar too, but especially Cooper in the situation. Wins the header from that set piece, which was taken by, uh, was it? Yeah, header assist, which was done by Sam Greenwood, actually. Really good goal from Cooper again, just to bundle it in the back end and get it where it needs to go in the back of the net. Makes it 3-3 in the game. We then reach the 84th minute, and this guy seems to be seems, you know, he seems to be doing this on a regular now. This is two two games in a row, I believe. Crescencio Somerville makes it 4-3 for Leeds with the craziest comeback that I think I've seen in Premier League for some years now, especially the fashion that it happened in it. Such a quick turnaround. Makes it 4-3 for Leeds, and it just my, 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 my. It was really just a... Wow. I thought the defending from Bournemouth, might add, was 
genuinely some some of the worst defending I think I've ever laid my eyes on in Premier League in a Premier League fixture. Really, really bad, like really bad from Bournemouth, especially with this last goal. Yes, they'd lost belief. Yes, they've been down, they down tools. Yes, you know they have a lack of confidence, a lack of of uh, instincts now that they've you know they've been conceded, they've conceded two or three goals after going three one up at one point, but really just a. Uh, it was just so weird and bizarre to see that Bournemouth, who had such a great first half and were so, you know, effective and Solanke had scored in the opening stage of the second half, to all of a sudden just capitulate and disappear. And that's exactly what happened. Somerville, who, this number 10, this guy's coming out of nowhere, man. Great pass from Wilfred Nanto, the uh, new Italian, young uh, Italian winger. He's, he's very good in this game as well. Sets up Somerville, who scores yet another late goal for Leeds and makes them go on to be victorious. Excellent result for Leeds and Jesse March. And he'll be very, very delighted with this. Of course, the team would probably expect Leeds to beat. Let's be real. Especially at home. Anyways, moving on. To Wolves versus Bournemouth. Wolves 2, Bright... Wow, wow. No, not Wolves. I keep mixing up Bournemouth and Brighton. I always do this. Wolves versus Brighton. Wolves 2, Brighton 3. Okay, wow. Let's get this properly. Two goals from, from Wolves. The first of which came from Gonzalo Getch. second of which came from Ruben Neves. That's two Portuguese men, of course. The whole Wolves team is Portuguese at this point. Regardless, the opening goal actually came from Adam Lalana to make it one nothing to Brighton. Do a great, great, great finish. Again, Lalana, who's not been known for his goal-scoring prowess, especially not recently, at, since going to Brighton. Scoring a very, very good goal. And finally, a player that's not named Leandro Trossard scores for, for Brighton. I mean, that did happen against Chelsea, but it's happened yet again. And against Chelsea, it was more own goals than it was goals that, that, uh, that Brighton was scoring. In this game, it was all Brighton players that were scoring goals. Lalana scoring the 10th minute, and then it was made 1-1, thanks to Gonzalo Gedge, like I said. Again, that was actually a pretty good finish, the way he kind of got pushed over, and he stumbled to still find his feet and managed to pan up, you know, English, to bundle it and maybe pan it is what they were looking for, to pan a nutmeg, the keeper, Robert Sanchez, in the process, making it 1-1. And then we saw, again, a goal from Ruben Neves, yet another penalty this Premier League weekend. Man, I'm saying way too many this time, but this PR stuff is getting ridiculous. Another penalty then given for... For uh, for Wolves, Ruben Neves steps up and absolutely buries it. It was a very well taken penalty from a guy who, you know, his shooting abilities second to none nowadays, making it two one for Wolves. And then late, like literally in the, the cusp of halftime, which again is another trend we've seen this weekend with a lot of goals coming just before halftime or just after it. A goal from uh, Kaioru Mitoma, who's been really, really, really good. This guy's a guy that you, people need to be looking out for. This is a quality, quality, quality player. This Mitoma guy has a lot, a lot of skill, like a bag, an abundance of tricks, abundance of talent and ability. Really, really, really an unpredictable winger that really can give you a bit of everything in this game. You know, tenacity, industry, productivity, you know, goal scoring, as you see in the situation, making it 2-2 with a really good header as well. He's not the tallest player, but a very good leap. Good cross from Adam Lalana, who gets an assist and a goal. And then Pascal Gross, of course, he just like against Chelsea, scored the last goal of the game in that match. He scored the last goal of the game in this match, making it 3-2 for Brighton in the 83rd minute. Not the most con- conventional finish from Gross, but he found a way to slap it in the back of the net and make it Brighton 3, Wolves 2, sending Wolves again, packing away at the Molyneux in complete frustration and anger after, you know, being up at some point in the game and then finding a way to fumble out the bag. So it is what it is, man. My wolves are looking like they might be relegated before we know it. And that's strange to say, but it wouldn't surprise me. They look really, really uh, bleak and dire right now, for sure. And now I believe this is either the penultimate game or the the last game of the Premier League season. Uh, it's not the season. Well, the last game of the Premier League match day 15, which is Nottingham Forest 2 versus Brighton 2. No, there's still one more game I need to touch over as well. We'll get to that in a second. Again, really, really, really good game of football again two teams that are extremely extremely hungry for points and especially against each other because again they're familiar opponents and playing each other in the championship all the time now switching over to the premier league Nottingham Forest two brent for two again uh, there's no ivan tony as he's being investigated for some like some legal like gambling thing he must be doing versus games and something like that so he wasn't able to play i think that's the reason why he wasn't available uh so and will have to play in the game we saw a really good goal from Morgan, Morgan Gibbs White, who look for, who for me is just another like a B Tech Loftus Cheek, or maybe even a better version of Loftus Cheek, because he's younger and can probably get more out of his genuine raw potential. Scoring a really good goal in the 20th minute, making one nothing for Nottingham Forest. Great footwork, great finish, a very tidy finish from a player you expect to see that more from because he's so gifted. He's very good at reading defenders' next step, and he beats them kind of with you know with that one movement, and all of a sudden he drops his shoulder and beats them with the next one. It's really really good player. Uh, this Gibbs White. Guy. 
guys. And I didn't like him. I'm not a fan of Sheffield United, period, let alone any Sheffield United player, any Wolves player, really. And to see him come to Nottingham Forest and do this is a really good sign of what he can become, you know, in a proper team and with more work and more reps and more experience, he can become a very good player. He has all the, again, the right attributes, the height, the, the physicality, the intelligence that you need to be a good player in the Premier League, especially for a team like Nottingham Forest, scoring a very good goal, like I said, making it one nothing, And then we saw yet another penalty given in the game. This time for Brentford, which then had been given and dispatched by Brian Embuemo. Really good, very well taken penalty. Again, we're seeing a lot of these. These players tend to really pick up on this. The keepers are having less and less chance of saving them. I remember one point we are talking about penalties being you know, more favorable for keepers than it is for the players because of how often the players were missing. But recently, we're seeing a lot of good saves from these players. And again, Embuemo is no different to that. Very good finish to make it 1-1. We go into the second half now. And Johan Vissa scoring a very good goal. Again, shocking defending, really, really shocking defending from Nottingham Forest. It just shows you the championship to the Premier League levels is so different. You can just feel it. You can just see it. Brentford and Leeds are a bit more seasoned Premier League teams, and it shows with the way that they attack and score goals. We saw that with Leeds and how they carved open Bournemouth in the second half, especially late in the second half, on countless occasions. The same thing happened in this game here with uh, with Nottingham Forest's very lackluster defending, where... um. The ball goes over the top. It's a bit of a miscommunication between everybody. Johan Vissa and, again, Henderson just coming completely off his line, expecting to maybe win it. Johan Vissa then able to run onto the ball there and lob it perfectly, like the perfect trajectory. And the thing is, one of those where the keeper has to watch it go win. So it's kind of, you know, graceful as it was, as Henderson has to look behind him and see the ball just trickle back over the uh, the goal line, or the, uh, yeah, the goal line. And uh, it just went in, of course, and it was uh, then 2-1 for Brentford. And that would have been a really good result for Brentford, who've not been that great as of recently. So it would have been a very good result. And then, of course, in the 90th minute, you know, more drama has to happen, especially between these two teams. It would never be a true Nottingham Forest Brentford game between these, you know, game between these sides without uh, some more controversy. 90th minute, own goal. Yet another one again this week, or just in the last couple of weeks in the Premier League from, uh, what's it, Matthias Jorgensen? Is that his name? Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, Jorgensen or Zanka is a nickname or whatever. And yeah, it was again another own goal and um, making it two-two. And Nottingham Forest obviously were were delighted with that as they want to keep this certain kind of run of form they've been on and beating Liverpool at home and now getting a draw against Brentford, a very very difficult team to play against. Anybody would tell you that they're a very difficult team to beat or just simply to create any real problems against Brentford. They're very well set up by Thomas Frank. Good result for for Nottingham Forest after kind of clawing themselves out of once being ahead and then going behind. So good result for them. We'll finally move on to the last game, which was West Ham versus Crystal Palace. And now this game finished as West Ham 1, Crystal Palace 2. Another London derby this was, yeah. And it was, again, another very good game of football. This week has seen a lot of it. This has definitely been one of the best ones so far in the Premier League. I have to say that by far. It really, really stood out to me with the quality on show from all teams in every game. Every game had a reason to be watched, except maybe barring the, um, the Leicester one. But even the Leicester one had goals in it as well. I think maybe the Chelsea Arsenal one is probably the worst one, but it's a big game, so it's still interesting. Nonetheless, 20th minute again, goal from West Ham. Wonderful goal. Now, this for me is my goal of the week, really quickly. Let me get that you know, straight out there. Saeed Ben Rama with a, what we call a scorcher. This is just a bullet, bam, in the back of the net. No chance for the keeper. Literally no chance. No chance. Like the Vincente guy, Guaita saves this. No chance. Straight in the top left-hand corner. one nothing West Ham. West Ham fans go absolutely ballistic, going nuts, going crazy. And uh, Ben Rama embracing the love and the joy. Apparently, this is uh, his 100th appearance for West Ham, which I refuse to believe because I don't remember him playing that many games for West Ham. But regardless, scoring on his 100th appearance is obviously very impressive, and he'll be very happy with that. And then in the second half, or second half of the first half, like I keep saying, Wilfred Zaha, after, again, another really good build-up play between two players that just... And even the third player I'm going to mention in a second for, for Crystal Palace. These guys are just, when they're on it, they're really on it. They're tuned into a level where, like, the frequency, the wavelength understanding is ridiculous. Again, in this game, really good play and build-up play from Wilfred Zaha and Ebere, Ebere, or as a lovely pass from as a great finish from Wilfred Zaha with a lash it into the corner. Just, oh, man, wonderful stuff from Crystal Palace. And it gets even better, Palace fans, as obviously, as you guys know, Michael Olise scores in the 90th minute. Again, yet another 90-minute goal this Premier League match day, which shows you how, you know, how highly intensified and how every minute was used in the Premier League games this week. And Elise scoring in the 90th minute, a very, 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 very deft finish. 
you know, lovely little curled finish into the top left-hand corner, the right-hand corner of the keeper's perspective. Very good goal. Lovely build-up from Zaha to find, sorry, from Eze to find Zaha. Then who did immediately did the right thing in turning and finding the bar right side. At least say, who we knew, we all knew what was going to happen next. Cut onto his left foot, find the top left-hand corner, and make it 2-1. Lovely finish from Elise. Lovely, lovely. A very good player. We know it's full of talent again, full of full of quality. We say this all the time. That Palace front three on their day can really be dangerous, and it showed again yet again. And it's uh, Palace's first away win of the season, which is very, very good, of course. And it just great way for uh, Uncle Pat, um, what's his name, Patrick Vieira, to get his feet really running this season with Crystal Palace. So really good result for them there. And finally, ladies and gentlemen. Once we return, we'll be looking at the fraud of the week. And that should be that for this episode of the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast, covering match day 15 of the Premier League season. And now, ladies and gentlemen, as I read this title in front of my eyes, trending news on FOTMOB, Conte feels like Tottenham lost to Liverpool was unfair. Let me click on this and see what it says. Yeah, Tottenham remained without a win in four matches against big six opposition this season following their 2-1 defeat to Liverpool. Now, if this, if this doesn't give you any indication as to what my fraud of the week is going to be, you haven't been paying attention. Listen up, ladies and gentlemen. My fraud of the week. It has to be Spurs. And now the reason why I say this is, yes, Spurs have actually been doing fairly well. And they're in a very, relatively very good position given their standards and where they want to be in the Premier League. However, however, the football that Tottenham Hotspur Football Club currently are playing underneath Antonio Conte is some of the worst football I've ever seen them play since I've watched Spurs. Genuinely, forget results. Spurs are often known as an aesthetic club. The way that they play football is very important to them. They take a lot of pride in, in the style and the, and the, the, the brand and, and the, uh, the, the, the systematic, um, complexity of the way that they play football. And with Conte, you're probably going to have to sacrifice a lot of what I just explained for, in favor of picking up results. Now, in big games, as we know as Chelsea fans, Conte used to do something very similar, very, very defensive. As, as expressions like to say, a Christmas tree formation. A lot of defenders, very limited, very, very limited amount of attackers on the pitch and relying on the fact that you score from one or two moments of brilliance and shutting up shop. Now, we know this is no longer 2017 as proper football fans. Conte hasn't realized that anymore. That style of football doesn't work anymore. It really doesn't. Yes, you're lucky you have Harry Kane. He's a very, very good goal scorer. He's one of the best in the Premier League history at that. He's a ridiculously good goal scorer. So you get away with it. And Son is also one of the best. Not obviously in Premier League history, but he's one of the best. And Sandy Kulisevsky, one of the best signings Spurs have made in years. So they're my fans of the week because Spurs and this style of football, something has to give. Either the fans to get fed up with the fact that they're not winning any trophies and playing terrible football, but still picking up some okay mid-season results that nobody cares about really. Or you play better football, realize that trophies may just continue to evade you, for, at least for the time being. And then you find a way to play some football that makes it more interesting and more attractive to play. Like you should have seen the reaction that, that the Spurs fans, or heard the reaction that the Spurs fans uh, made as soon as they knew that Dan Kulisevsky was going to come on. And he did come on, clapping, clapping like there's no tomorrow. Because they knew our source of creativity is finally here. Why? Because the rest of Ponte's football isn't based around that. This isn't Italy. This isn't Chelsea of 2017, whatever, whatever. You can't do the same thing. And I think that with the Spurs team, the fraudulence that I'm seeing from them is this this kind of persistence and Conte's persistence with the system that clearly is not going to get you the reward you're looking for. Everyone was thinking, okay, Spurs are going to win the they're going to win the league, they're going to win the league, whatever, whatever, they're going to challenge for the league, whatever, whatever. Let's be completely real. Arsenal have, have done that and, and then some. This is Arsenal's best ever season to best ever start to a season in years, I believe. I think ever, arguably. And for Spurs, it's something very similar as well, but for many different reasons. And I just think this fraudulence is it's hurting my head to watch. Again, I'm a Chelsea fan. What do I know about good football? I've been watching us play dead football in the Premier League for years. But from a Spurs perspective, you're not winning trophies and you're playing poorly, which is where the fraudulence comes in. I've said this many times on this podcast and in general. But if you're not going to play good football, you at least want to be winning something. So you can be like, oh, we know at least can compensate the bad football for some good trophies. What Chelsea had done, what United used to do. And it's like, okay, like you can kind of see where it comes from. Now it's like, geez, like Spurs are not only are we not playing the football we don't like, but also it's like, Damn, we're not winning anything either. So what's the point? 
you know, and I just think that to me is where the front line really sticks out to me. Like, okay, like you have to be considered this contender. You know, it could have been them, it could have been Chelsea, of course, this week. Chelsea were shocking, like I said, really, really bad uh, this week against Arsenal. It could have been uh, Manchester United, which I mean is boring and all. Manchester divided is boring, but yeah, could have been another one again. We always talk about those, those two teams. It seems like we're always mentioning them. Could have been Wolves. You mentioned them before too. Could have been Bournemouth. You mentioned them as well before too. See, like it's getting, it's getting, getting ridiculous now. So I thought, I thought to see Conte is more my fraud than than Spurs. Really, Spurs have, look relatively okay. They have some decent patterns. Santa Bed and Bissouma slowly they have some injuries, so I can understand that. And uh yeah, that's that's my fun of the week. Thank you guys for listening as always. This has been the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast. Please make sure to download to subscribe and to follow the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast on whatever platform you listen to your podcast on. I have been your boy the Don. Make sure to share with everyone you know that loves football as much as we do on this podcast. Exciting episode coming out on midweek. And you guys will be able to hear it and enjoy it. Stay tuned for more content. Like I said, Chelsea therapy also coming as well. So stay tuned for that. I'll be back again, again, English again soon. Deuces. Hey everyone, are you enjoying the content? Please be sure to leave a rating and a review and to check out my other episodes. If you're looking for more Steven Talks Soccer content, you can find me at STS Pod on Instagram, at Steve Talks Footy on Twitter, and at Steven Talks Soccer on TikTok. Become a consistent starter in the STS squad.